Since you have ruined my car salesman joke, Angel, I am just going back to the season one format. In 1974, the jazz rock super band known as Steely Dan released their third studio album, Pretzel Logic, which features the song Any Major Dude Will Tell You. This exploration into madness and insecurity tells us, have you ever seen a squonk's tears? Well, look at mine. The people on the street have seen better times. I don't have a joke to interrupt. This whole thing has left me in a state of confusion. Feelings of sadness course through my veins and my ears are pierced with crying. But they are not my tears. Wherefore art thou forsaken cries? Hark! On the precipice of my communal entrance, the cries strengthen. Dare I open this portal to these forlorn wails? I dare. Ah! It's the squonk! Hello, and welcome to another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. This is Matt, once again accompanied down the metaphorical red carpet known as life by Angel. Before we get to some crazy weird news articles, Angel, I wanted to ask you about something that came up over the week. So we are both pretty heavily into movies, and I learned, like most things, you take it to a whole other level. Everyone knows the old dinner and a movie combo but you make it into a whole goddamn thing. You recreate foods from various movies and then watch the movie and eat the food during that specific scene, claiming it is basically the final form of immersion. The movie that prompted this conversation was Pulp Fiction, with the scene where Sam Jackson's character is eating another dude's big kahuna burger. You said it took several attempts to recreate the fast food style delivery, but with the taste of a homemade meal. What are some of the other movies that have inspired your taste buds? Which do you think is the all-time best, and which is the all-time worst movie-inspired recipe? There's this uh, little-known film called Chef, uh, written and directed by Jean Favreau, I believe. He, yeah. he plays a chef who gets a, a food truck. And then he's, he has a, created a Netflix show in which he recreates foods. And so it's like a meta, meta thing that I'm doing. And so I recreate the food that he recreated. <laughs> oh, my God. It's, it's food cubed. Uh, the other film, I, uh, my favorite, is Jurassic Park. I, I love to... To oh, yeah. do the Chilean sea bass <laughs> that they're going to have for lunch. <laughs> I thought you were going to do the jello and then you shake it. Oh, that too. Of course. Shake the, it the, the, the hardest part is the whole the, the, the dessert the, when the kids go and they, just the whole table full of desserts. Just Holy crap. So you do the whole yeah. ensemble food display. Oh, my yeah, God. Yeah, and then I eat like the, a little bit of ice cream and then shake the jello, but then I leave it all out to go bad. <laughs> Oh, man, that's an expensive movie to watch for you then. Yeah, I don't watch it that often. <laughs> um, <laughs> as for the worst, the Super Mario Brothers movie. <laughs> what do they eat? What do they eat in that? Exactly. <laughs> 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 or 
hook when they're throwing their imaginary food at each other. <laughs> the, like colored mashed potatoes. Yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. God. <laughs> and then <laughs> and then you get to do the part with Rufio. <laughs> That's right. I honor his his life. His death. <laughs> Rufio's death, not the uh, actor. <laughs> oh, oh yes, completely that. <laughs> so with that, let's take a look at some weird news articles that have been popping up in the week. So this one comes from unexplainedmysteries.com, titled, Bill aims to establish Bigfoot hunting season. So it states, an Oklahoma lawmaker is hoping to establish an official hunting season in the state for the enigmatic cryptid. While there are many people who are skeptical about the existence of an unknown species of large, hairy biped roaming the forests of North America, Representative Justin Humphrey certainly isn't one of them. Humphrey, who represents a southeastern district of Oklahoma, famous for its Bigfoot sightings, has introduced a new bill which urges the Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission to establish a bona fide Bigfoot hunting season during which the killing of the cryptid would be totally legal. If the bill passes, it will come into effect at the beginning of November. The Oklahoma Wildlife Conservation Commission shall promulgate rules establishing a Bigfoot hunting season, the bill states. The commission shall set annual season dates and create any necessary specific hunting license and fees. As you might expect, however, establishing such a bill is going to take some persuasion. It is a real bill, yes, department official Micah Holmes told Fox News. Here at the department, we are using science to make management decisions, and we do not recognize Bigfoot as a wildlife species in Oklahoma. As things stand, it seems highly unlikely that the bill will actually pass. And then the writer, just throwing some hate at Humphrey, says, Exactly why Humphrey thought it would be a good idea remains unclear. This is the complete opposite of the time they tried to pass a bill here in Florida to protect skunk yeah, apes. Skunk ape. Yeah. So this is absurd. I mean, if this were to pass, then this gives free reign to all the hunters to go out and shoot something that's hairy. I mean, what if you come across <laughs> those those wolf boys, you know, that, that have that hair that hair growth <laughs> like problem. The Argentinian wolf boys? Yes. <laughs> From like the... 30s I'm, I'm sure they have children with the same issues and they've moved to the united states they're seeking their freedom and enjoying <laughs> <To> oklahoma <laughs> enjoying their life in oklahoma and then suddenly they get shot dead by some over eager hunter thinking that it's a bigfoot this is ridiculous i do not condone this bill or endorse it it's gonna be a controversial episode angel <laughs> i'm gonna say i support the bigfoot bill because He's been hiding for long enough. It's time to take the war to Bigfoot. And he's forced our hand, really. He's been banging on the trees. He's been hooting. He's been throwing stones. Enough's enough. I, we can't be armed with shitty cameras anymore. We need to be armed with guns. <laughs> well, that's just it, though. Even with the shitty cameras, they can't capture him. How is shooting going to do any better? Well... We have to have the chance to be able to do it. <laughs> and by passing this law, damn it, we can do it. Listen to my pleas, Oklahoma. Don't do it. Do it. <laughs> the uh, other article that we have comes from independent.co.uk. And it is titled, Microsoft Patent Shows Plans to Revive Dead Loved Ones as Chatbots. 
So it says, Microsoft has been granted a patent that would allow the company to make a chatbot using the personal information of deceased people. The patent describes creating a bot based on the images, voice data, social media posts, electronic messages, and more personal information. The specific person who the chatbot represents may correspond to a past or present entity or a version thereof, such as a friend, a relative, an acquaintance, a celebrity, a fictional character, a historical figure, a random entity, etc. The specific person may also correspond to oneself, such as the user creating or training the chatbot. Microsoft also describes implying that living users could train a digital replacement in the event of their death. Microsoft has even included the notion of 2D or 3D models of specific people being granted via images and depth information or video data. That idea that you would be able in the future to speak to a simulation of someone who has passed on is not new. It is famously the plot of the Black Mirror episode, Be Right Back, where a young woman uses a service to scrape the data from her deceased partner to create a chatbot and eventually a robot. In October 2020, Kanye West bought Kim Kardashian West a hologram of her late father, Robert Kardashian, to celebrate her 40th birthday, further cementing the idea of digital representations of the dead that can more authentically communicate with the living. The hologram spoke for around three minutes, directly addressing Kardashian and her decision to become a lawyer and carrying on my legacy. Apart from Microsoft, other tech companies have tried to use digital data to recreate loved ones who have passed on. Eugene Koida, a co-founder of technology company Luca, used 8,000 lines of text messages between her and friend Roman Mazarenko, who was killed in a road accident, to create a chatbot that mimicked Mazarenko's way of speaking. It's still a shadow of a person, but that wasn't possible just a year ago. And in the very close future, we will be able to do a lot more, Koida wrote. Other family members found it difficult to connect with the chatbot. Yes, it has all of Roman's phrases, correspondences, but for now, it's hard how to say. It's hard to read a response from a program. Sometimes it answers incorrectly, Mazrenko's father said. And the article concludes there. So what are your thoughts here, Angel, about <sighs> chatbots revived from a loved one or really anyone aside from it being extremely creepy i think it's going to be the downfall of humanity and and we have bring it on we have evidence <laughs> of it happening i mean you mentioned kanye got kim a hologram mm -hmm. of her late father and now there's rumors of divorce coincidence i don't think so <laughs> it was the hologram it was too much <laughs> yeah. i don't know how i would feel about having you know my dead grandfather or grandmother or anybody really speaking to me and uh yelling at me racist things because we all know the bots eventually <laughs> you know just devolve into a racist uh um <laughs> slur throwing and and they can just still be disappointed from beyond the grave right <laughs> yes there's no pleasing <laughs> like, them <laughs> the i guess the one idea that i thought would be well, uh, maybe another controversial statement angel i'm in 100 percent support of doing this for a few reasons i think the like the historical figure part of it would be really neat if it could say just to throw a name out there pliny the elder like search through all of his works we could have a pliny the elder back 
with us to to speak with and argue with. Well, my other problem with this is that we, if we go by just what's been established about these people, what they've written, mm-hmm. it will not paint a, a true representation of them. For example, if we bring back Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., he's not going to have his yeah. womanizing ways anymore. Yeah, he's, it's going to be a very altruistic, <laughs> like perfect version yeah, of himself. Yeah, Benjamin Franklin's not going to be the drunk that he was. <laughs> having sex in the hellfire club orgies <laughs> in england like, yep. uh, we don't want that ben they're all gonna be they're all gonna be boring <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah it would be interesting to see like because i feel like at that point it has to be some sort of like entry-level artificial intelligence or however you want to describe it because it can't be like like how do you make that person again because that's what i feel like their end game is is to recreate that person like you're talking to them yeah not to make it just be a, a simulation of them. So it'd have to like have something to fill in all the blanks through the of the road, fill in all the potholes. Yeah. And uh, I, a difficult thing to to create, but I think it would be amazing. <laughs> Amazingly dangerous, but also amazing. Not to mention that there's people like me out there that will go and delete certain things off the internet to keep them the the watchdogs <laughs> off their tracks and also um, you know, I click on certain ads just to screw with the algorithms. <laughs> uh-huh. I know. I, I've seen your YouTube. It's oh, it's dangerous <laughs> to look at. It would be interesting to see how this goes in the next, even like two years. I would see what this comes of because it's really starting to get to that like beyond the pale sort of. Ooh, this is questionable, like ethically. Yeah. Uh, like we have the power to do it, but should we do it? Sort of scenario. Yeah. Looking back, Angel, this season has been cryptid after cryptid trying to topple the mega king known as Santa Claus. No matter what type of entity, they just can't get close enough to that score Santa got several weeks ago. We've seen entities that are bloodthirsty man-eaters in the form of the Rougarou and the Stakini. We've seen the Hoogag, who can't even bend his damn legs, which, come on, he had he had no chance. <laughs> even if Santa wasn't in the season, Hoogag had no chance. And we had the Suchinoko, a snake-like entity who failed to double-jump his way to victory. This week, we have an entity, our final cryptid for the season, who is going to try and outrank Santa, but I think with possibly a different approach. By attempting to be the most sorry excuse for an animal in existence, the Squonk is here to tug on our heartstrings in an effort to squeak by the season's champ, not on score, but maybe just maybe, on sympathy. Get the handkerchief ready, Angel, as the squonk is going to be like that seasonal contestant on reality shows like American Idol that gets featured with some big promo that tries to woo you over with their sob story. I already have a tear in my eye just thinking about the little guy. To set the stage for this episode, I think it should be said that this exploration to the world of the squonk is going to be an experiment in empathy, Angel. So to set the record straight, because I know you have been accused in the past of being a man who has no empathy for any living creature, I went against my better judgment to dictionary.com so you could understand exactly what empathy is. The psychological identification with or vicarious experiencing of the feelings, thoughts, or attitudes of another. Are you ready to walk a mile in the squonks' sad, wet shoes? I'm gonna pretend to. <laughs> Goddamn psychopath. 
to give everyone an idea of what the squonk looks like, there is a unique description in the book, The Irresponsibly Awesome Guide to Cryptozoology by Nick Sandburn that says the squonk is a small, ugly cryptid with bacne. Its skin is saggy, covered with big blobs of cellulite, unsightly whiskers, and moles. Now, that book is more for comedy purposes than anything else, but I think the description is still accurate. How about that for First Impression Angel? I mean, I already feel sorry for the damn thing. Mm -hmm. I want to give it a hug, but I don't want to get near it, so... I know if you hug it, like his back knee might pop, and then oh, you're gonna get squonk pus on you. Yeah, don't want that. No, there's gonna be a lot of tears from everybody. <laughs> I think it's kind of an interesting, like a big deal is made about the squonk's unsightly appearance. So it differs so greatly from conventional cryptids. So think of your stakinis, mothmans, or goatmans of the world. Goatman has a freaking executioner's axe. Stakinis eat your heart. Squonk is over here living his life, being a little guy who people are like, God, I hate you. You're just so damn ugly. So usually cryptids are presented as these things that are out there that can snatch you in the night, able to tear you limb from limb. Yet the squonk, according to Sandburn at least, is just a little piece of garbage. So what do you make of that? I feel like we're the Michael Scotts and that's the Toby of the cryptid. <laughs> world oh god <laughs> stupid toby <laughs> I, I think that's a, a perfect analogy you know what isn't a little piece of garbage what cotton eye joe's razor the axiom that states for something to have come from somewhere it must therefore go somewhere so where exactly did the squonk come from it would seem the squonk is not unlike some other entities we have investigated, that of the hodag or the hoogag. The squonk has its origins with that of the ever-perceptive lumberjack of the 19th century, constantly finding new, exciting, and often deadly creatures out there in the untamed forest. And this got me thinking, Angel. At this point, we've had so many overlapping themes throughout this season that I don't think there's just one way for us to prepare for another venture into the lumber woods of North America. We must do the unthinkable. Do you know what must be done? I have an idea, but why don't you tell me? We need the amalgamation. It's going to be a really tight fit, but I need you to don your Paul Bunyan cosplay outfit, your toga, your detective hat, and probably, just to be safe, get in the refrigerator box that we're using for our game trail camera. <laughs> it's everything. Wow. <laughs> That blue paint I used to dress up as Babe the Ox for the Hoogag episode still hasn't come off my skin for how many weeks, so at least it was good for something. <laughs> I say this all because I think at this point, I would be surprised if the Romans and some sort of curse are not involved with the squawk. Best we are prepared for what's to come. I was not prepared in the least for what I found, so hold on to your toga, Angel. Here we go. My research of the squawk led me to a publication from the early 1900s. It's called the Golden Cross Journal for March of 1917, a journal from, believe it or not, the United Order of the Golden Cross, a secret society of sorts. It starts off, innocently enough, with an article titled, Some Wild Beasts New to Science. Rene Bosch tells of wonderful discoveries of animals never heard of before, now almost extinct. The article goes on to state, 
much that was hitherto regarded as mysterious in regard to certain ferocious animals inhabiting the forest of this country has been made clear by the investigation of eminent naturalist William T. Cox, who is now the state forester of Minnesota. The article then goes on to detail his extensive dealings with lumberjacks and all the stories they have of the deep woods. The article first details the Snollygoster, not to be confused with the Snallygaster, another entity out there. That's true. <laughs> Before I explain what the heck this thing is, have you ever heard of the Snollygoster, Angel? I gotta be honest with you. All these words mean nothing to me. <laughs> They're just... A few consonants and a vowel, maybe one or two vowels they all, thrown in, they, right? They all start with S. Like, I don't know what that's about. <laughs> this really has nothing to do with the squonk at all. When I read it in the article, I couldn't pass this up. And I also think talking about it is important for life in general. And what I mean by that will be made, I think, more clear towards the end of this little segment. So the description of the Snollygoster is possibly the first time we have been looking at entities where straight up full tilt racism comes into play. The article states, in the cypress swamps of the south, and particularly in the region of Lake Okeechobee, Florida, woodmen tell of a strange and dangerous animal known as the snollygoster, a creature of enormous proportions and is credited with a ferocious appetite. Worst of all, its appetite is only appeased by eating of human beings. To give you an idea of what it looked like, the creature is like a giant crocodile, but it has fur and no legs. Kind of neat, right? Mm-hmm. But then this next part in the article blew me away. It states, the creature feeds exclusively on piccaninnies. Oh, my God. Which, if you aren't aware, was a word co-opted to be used as a word for black children, usually in the context of a racial slur. Piccaninny children were often depicted as more animal than human. As I read this, it really jumped out at me. I was like, no way did William Cox write this. Not the Minnesota State Forester. William Cox, the man who gave us the hodag and the hoogag descriptions, we talked about him briefly in those episodes, so I thought maybe Golden Cross was just going rogue. The article goes on to state, the creature can get through muddy waters quickly, and when it catches a colored person, it tosses the victim up and backwards so as to impale him on the spike fin. So what do you make of this, Angel? I I mean, this is just pure racism. <laughs> mm-hmm. I mean, this is ridiculous. It was, Yeah, it just... The whole thing, for me, it was just jarring to see. Yeah. And, like, a monster that specifically only eats black people. It's like, it's like, god damn, what's going on here? Why do people have to be assholes and make <laughs> <laughs> stories of this snollygoster? So I looked back at Cox's Creatures of the Lumberwoods book. And come to find out, the article is pretty much a cut and paste of that book. But the book is worse. So Cox's descriptions typically have some sort of eyewitness account with each of the creatures uh, that are featured. And the Snollygoster section features one from Mr. Inman Eldridge of Defuniac Springs, Florida. And uh, here's a quote from the book. While hunting for an outlaw negro in the swamps, he had a most unusual experience. He caught sight of the negro, dead and impaled upon what is at first appeared to be a slender cypress tree, but which presently began to move away. It was then seen to be the spike of the snollygoster's back. Eldridge's first impulse was to shoot the strange beast, but upon second thought he concluded that it was doing a good work and was entitled to live on. 
The very report of such a creature inhabiting the swamps would deter evildoers from venturing into these wild places to avoid their pursuers and escape justice. The passage concludes. I went back and forth on featuring this because this is an episode on the squonk, not the snollygaster, but ultimately decided it's important to have a conversation about this. At first, I was like, okay, William Cox, this Inman Eldridge of Defuniac Spring story never happened, right? This all has to be made up. But I looked him up, and to my surprise, found a gravestone. Born 1883, died 1963, on his tombstone says, a forester. And he was buried in Fort Walton Beach, Okaloosa County, Florida. So this indeed is a story from a lumberjack born in post-Reconstruction America, growing up in the Jim Crow era. He would have been around his mid-twenties when Cox was writing this book. And it gives us a, a weird insight that even when it comes to cryptids or bizarre creatures, or in this respect, a lumberjack story, racism can be found in the most benign of places. I think it's... It's in, it's it's interesting because of the the point of the story, which was, you know, to keep escaped slaves. Was that what it was? Yeah, this it would specifically said outlaw. Outlaw. So well, yeah, to keep it's not, outlaws it's not clear because going... I mean, a slave a slave would have been an an escaped slave would have been an outlaw. Yeah. But I think in this <clears throat> aspect, it was just a uh, African American that was on the run from the law. Yeah, it's it's uh, <laughs> it's um. What's the, what's the crime? The, the they say that it's um, walking while black, or something like mm-hmm. that. Yeah, so it's like the idea that this story will keep them from running into deeper into, you know, let's say the Everglades, so that they can, yeah, exactly. You know, justice can be brought to them. Like, come on. I know. Yeah, and th- the fact that like he he chose not to shoot it because it was doing a good work was the quote. Like. My God, this is so messed up. Yeah, I, I know. In past episodes, I've, you know, tried to convince our listeners to pay a visit to Florida because you know it doesn't <laughs> get a lot of credit. But I am also the first to 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 tell to say that Florida's history is is probably one of the worst of of, of the states, um, or at least it's up there. I mean, the whole point of you know the whole thing about florida was that the everglades was pretty much all of south florida and Mm -hmm. the you know the these um the white settlers came and said we don't we want to live here so let's just drain literally drain the swamp was the was the damn catchphrase and you know (laughs) destroying all this uh ecology and and the wildlife that's in here as well as you know um displacing the 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 seminoles and just all that nonsense it's just corruption left and right and mm-hmm. and it's it's like it, they it's almost like corruption is is genetic because it's passed down to our current uh politicians <laughs> mm-hmm. it, it's just so crazy how like it can it, it can even be found in such a like little thing as a, a story of a of a monster yeah of the snollygaster like it just it blows me away like that that it got to like that far into the culture like it was embedded into the storytelling and it even brought me back to the stakini episode a bit with the history of florida i doubt eldridge was the actual originator of the snollygoster story 
I would think that he probably learned it during his time as a lumberjack. But it works so perfectly with the history of Spanish-controlled Florida as a safe haven for escaped slaves. Something to the effect of, like, did you catch the outlaw slave? Nope, he died, got killed by the Snollygaster, totally wasn't me that killed him. Like, mm-hmm. it's, <laughs> it's a stupid little excuse to say, like, oh, the... Leave him for the Snollygaster. We're never gonna find him. Uh, like, uh. yeah, it's it's that. I I think I don't know if we mentioned this in like maybe season one where they're kind of in passing this idea of of people chasing after cryptids and if they see some movement they'll just shoot first and you know mm-hmm. if if they end up killing something that's either like a person or an animal that shouldn't have been killed it's like well you know we thought it was a cryptid you know kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yep. And screwed up is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> I think overall, I think what I'm going for here, my message, you could say, is to keep an awareness when looking at the lore and stories of some of these creatures, even the sources that they come from, as I believe they are a reflection of the culture of that time. And sometimes they do not reflect the best aspects of our culture and our past. Back to the Golden Cross article, though. It uses the Snollygoster as a vicious counterpart to the Squonk. As it states, the squonk, on the other hand, is an entirely harmless, though very curious beast. It is said to be fairly common in the forests of Pennsylvania, and it travels about only at twilight. Because of its misfitting skin, which is covered with warts and moles, it is always unhappy. Hunters are able to follow the squonk by its tear-stained trail, for the creature weeps constantly. When cornered, an escape seems impossible. It may even dissolve itself in tears. On frosty moonlight nights, it is often heard weeping under the boughs of dark hemlock trees. J.P. Wentling, residing at St. Anthony Park, Minnesota, had a disappointing experience with a squonk near Mount Alto. He made a clever capture by mimicking the squonk and inducing it into a sack in which he was carrying home, when suddenly the burden lightened and the weeping ceased. Inside the sack was nothing but tears and bubbles. The squonk reportedly cries, and weeps all the time, to the point of leaving trails because the tears are so profuse. Is always unhappy and can even dissolve itself into tears. It can freaking cry itself to death. The article goes on to talk about some other entities from Cox's book, but what do you make of this, Angel? This the bread and butter of the squonk, the crying to death. I I can only imagine like <clears throat> like maybe the evolution of it is maybe what uh, inspired Eeyore. <laughs> I didn't think of that. <laughs> oh, bother. <laughs> or, you know, like, or the idea of like, maybe this creature is like a amalgamation of all of the world's <laughs> mystery or something. <laughs> I know. It's, uh, it's just so, it has so many unique qualities. Like, here's the way I break this thing down. The thing is so ugly, it hates itself to the point of tears. It is constantly crying and being, to quote Stone Cold Steve Austin, one sorry some bitch. <laughs> so stories of lumberjacks have a purpose. They aren't just a story for the sake of storytelling. While it is entertainment, it is also a way to explain things that are out there in the woods that were not explainable. A weird crying out in the woods, uh, that's the squonk. It puts a name on the unexplained. Tons of tons of animals make crazy noises as i think we talked about 
sufficiently in the Stakini episode, and probably many of them before. For instance, baby rabbits can sound like screaming human beings. <laughs> that shit's scary out in the dark at night. The ability to cry itself out of existence is perfect, as it explains why you can't find one, or at least can't come out of the woods with one. And I also think there's an added layer to the squawk. The idea that this thing is the lowliest of creatures and so ugly it hates itself is important. I think it's intentionally over the top to prove a point that crying in the lumber camp is not a quality or emotion you should be showing. And as Tom Hanks says, there's no crying in baseball. So is the same for lumberjacking. The squonk is the manifestation of things you do not want in the camp. An emotional wreck. Would you agree with that, Angel, or am I on my own with that? Actually, I was kind of thinking similarly. Um, I was, I had a thought in my head while you were talking that maybe, you know, we have this idea that lumberjacks are these like burly, manly men. but The Paul Bunyans. Yeah, but maybe, maybe back then they really weren't, you know, they were just like your stereotypical hipster, <laughs> right? No, no. And, and they came up with these stories as a kind of way to, to, to first, like you said, they hear a sound and they, they come up with the squonk a story so that they can lessen their fear of it and be like, Oh, it's, it's probably this ugly thing and it hates itself. And they're like, yeah. And imply that the crying is bad. So it's like, yeah, oh, we don't cry. That thing's, you know, <laughs> kind of like raising themselves up by putting some other thing down. <laughs> In reality, it's Jonesy out in the woods who hasn't seen his wife and kids in three months because he's been in the woods crying his heart out. And it, no, it's just the squawk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I think also, I think I mentioned it a little bit maybe in the Hodag episode uh, as far as like uh, the purpose of the storytelling also being like a way to razz or initiate newcomers into the camp Yeah, of like all the veterans get around the fire and tell their crazy monster stories. And, like, see if the new kid believes it or anything like that. Like, it makes for, like, the perfect movie. <laughs> the squonk really shows up, and it's a bloodthirsty beast and eats the kid. <laughs> yeah, it does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so, it is such a bizarre entity. I think the thing I love the most about all of this is the journal article itself, though. As it is the equivalent of what the cryptid entries in any other books or websites you can find today on the creature are it is literally the entire squonk section from cox's book shame on you golden cross you were the ones who started this nothing but simple regurgitation they brought the curse of cryptid <laughs> websites upon us i think i ended up reading a bit more of the journal because I, I did find it interesting it being such an old document that the more and more i looked at it the the next section following this like cryptid section was uh it was called what becomes of us and it was this little thing about how, like, is addressing the reader. Out of 100 men, all poor and age 25, a scientist could say, when you fellows are 60 years old, 36 will be dead. One will be very rich, four wealthy, five of you supporting yourself by work, and 54 will be dependent on friends, family, and charity. Because of that, fraternal life insurance makes the difference. And almost <laughs> all... <laughs> Almost all of the journal is about getting life insurance. It's just a giant commercial. <laughs> <laughs> and then and then I saw it, Angel. It was like the rays of God coming down <laughs> upon the page. In the middle of the page, flanked by articles titled 
cold, their causes and cures, and the Grand Commandery of Alabama report of the Grand Commander, there was an entire article called The Philosophy of Epictetus, The Price at Which You Are for Sale. I shit you not, it goes into a thing about self-worth and never sell yourself short, and it has this story about Vespasian, one of my previously mentioned Roman emperors that I hate. <laughs> it was this whole story, and I have no idea why these goddamn Romans keep popping up all season long. I honestly, at this point, have no explanation for it, and I think I'm concerned because this is beyond coincidence. At like, what what do you think is at play here, Angel? I think there's a larger conspiracy at hand. It's why we always refer to Western society. Western be- meaning uh, referencing usually Greek, but also mm-hmm. Roman. And I think there's this underground Roman society that's bubbling up towards the surface. Uh, it's like, forget you, semi-immortal pig people. You're you're low tier. <laughs> it's the, it's this like rising tide of Roman influence that is just ready to explode. I think. Yep. It's scary. So seeing this Vespasian thing, I was blown away. And this made me want to find more about this golden cross and like why they are telling me about cryptids and insurance. <laughs> so I found I found this thing from Albert Clark Stevens. It's uh, the Cyclopedia of Fraternities, a compilation of existing authentic information of more than 600 secret societies in the United States. And 600 is insane to me. And also, if he's writing about them, they're not so secret. But (laughs) published in 1899, it states, Golden Cross is a mutual assessment beneficiary society of men and women, total abstainers from the use of alcoholic drinks and beverages, founded by Dr. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, I think you might already be disqualified. (laughs) Let me go on a little bit. Founded by Dr. Uh, J.H. Morgan in New England in 1876, one of the older of the variety of this variety of organizations, is governed by a supreme body composed of its officers and representatives of grand bodies, which have jurisdiction over subordinate commanderies. Its organizers were Freemasons who sought, by a system of grand assessments, to form an economical and safe method of ensuring the lives of members for $500, $1,000, or $2,000 acceptable white men and women between 16 and 55 years of age are eligible to membership and it claims to be among the first societies if not the first society of its kind to admit women to its ranks on the same terms as men and it sort of goes over how many people they've gotten wow how progressive of them (laughs) i know right i applaud you golden cross so their journal keeps you informed on cryptids offers life insurance and motivational stories with Roman emperors. I mean, doing God's work. Do you agree? <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I know what you're asking yourself, Angel. Are there more secret societies that are involved? Yes, that is what I'm asking myself. <laughs> and there are. There are always more secret societies. So you see, one of the best insights that you can get from an author on their work is who they dedicate it to. And usually no one ever reads that crap. But William Cox's early 1900s work, Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods, says, Affectionately dedicated to the concatenated order of hoo-hoo and all who know the fellowship of the woods. The concatenated order of the hoo-hoo was founded in the early 1890s, 
God damn 1890s <laughs> in Arkansas. It was a way for people connected to the lumber industry to foster the health, happiness, and long life of its members. Membership was restricted to white males over 21 who were engaged in the lumber industry as lumbermen, newspapermen, railroad men, and sawmill machinery men. The organization was pretty lax and had what I would call extreme fun in naming of their higher-up titles. The executive committee of the order was known as the Supreme Nine, who consisted of the snark, the senior hoo-hoo, junior hoo-hoo, scrivenoter, bojum, jabberwock, custocation, arcanoper, and gurdon. Judicial affairs and care of the emblem were delegated to the House of the Ancients, which consisted of the past executives of the order and whose members served for life. So what this tells me, if you weren't in a secret society in the late 1800s and early 1900s, what the hell were you doing with your life? It was just—they <laughs> seem to be everywhere. I, I mean, you know, back that back in that um, episode where I mentioned that secret society, <laughs> forget yeah, the, the who the guy, compers, whatever yeah, they were, yeah, <laughs> the who guy episode. Yeah, there was that one town where nobody could do business until you joined. So <laughs> we forgot about that. Yeah, they like blackmailed the town, <laughs> and it was just okay. Like yep. people went around, along with it. Yep. My God, I. The, the more and more as this season has gone on, the more and more I have found that I hate the late 1800s. <laughs> just, if it wasn't dinosaurs, it was racism. If it wasn't racism, it was a secret society that was racist, too. <laughs> yeah. Enough about the secret societies and more about the squonk, as I always say. So we have established that the squonk is an entity from Lumberjack lore. So where exactly did he go? So either fortunately or unfortunately enough, depending how you look at it, we at least know that some dude named Mike Flynn from Cast Lake, Minnesota, didn't kill the last one like he did the Hoogag, where it was said he found one in the mud and bonked it on the head. I think a section from William Cox's book sums it up well enough as to why the squonk and other woodland entities faded away from people's minds. It says, The lumber regions are contracting. Stretches of forest that once seemed boundless are all but gone, and many a stream is quiet that once ran full of logs and echoed to the song of the river driver. Some say the old type of logger himself is becoming extinct. It is my purpose in this little book to preserve at least a description and sketch some of the interesting animals which he has originated. So just like the squonk, it's kind of a sad story. Within decades, loggers would just set up shop, pretty much clear cut an area, and then just move on. Just like Cox wrote, the old type of logger is becoming extinct. The sit-by-the-campfire, tell-a-stories-of-a-creature-out-in-the-woods-to-pass-the-time type of logger, that was going away. And with it, the stories of this crying little cryptid. If you lose the one who tell the stories of a creature, the creature is probably going to fade away with them. So with that being said, Angel, do you have any special theories or statements about the squonk before we dig into the rubric of power? Why, yes. Yes, I do. <laughs> this is, um, once again, this squonk research is is non-existent prior to this william t cox yeah cox it was all cox yeah so, all the way. so he i don't know if he made it up or if he heard actually heard uh people mm-hmm. telling the story yeah yeah like from what i was able to tell at least that that little segment of like the the guy that caught it in the bag at least with the snollygoster that's like i just thought the stories were made up the eyewitness accounts but that guy was real. He was a real lumberjack. So 
I would imagine the rest of this book would be the same as that he actually interviewed these people. So that would mean Mike Flynn was real. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Cast Lake. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to know that these people existed, but who knows if these tales yeah. were exaggerated. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That part, I'm not... <laughs> it was all made up. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, he even says it. The, the creatures that the lumberjacks originated. Or are they, though? <laughs> the, um, I found a few, like, two books, really, that deviate from the standard definition. So there's Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods by... Uh, William Cox and the book itself is just like maybe a time that spends maybe a small paragraph on the squonk just the whole page <laughs> it's like it's like one page double space yeah it's just one page <laughs> and then the next page is the next creature he talks about um, he explains what the squonk is once again they have the fake Latin na- name for it mm-hmm. which is lacrima corpus dissolvens if you if you know what it does, you can kind of understand what it's saying there. But there's another book that was titled Fearsome Critters, the same uh, given the same Latin name, and it's still a small paragraph, but it's it's different. Like the the all the words are different, but it pretty much describes the squonk in the same way. Another book, Supernatural Lore of Pennsylvania. This actually has a, an entry on the squonk in terms of about the tale of a squonk and, and its history versus the actual um, tale of the squonk itself. It mentions that Argentinian author Jorge Luis Borges, in his book, The Book of Imaginary Beans, he literally just copies and pastes. God damn it. William Cox's uh, description in there. <laughs> and I don't like I guess you, people can do that. You know, if I want <laughs> did Jorge not think anyone would ever find out? <laughs> I am going to write a book on crypt, uh, cryptids and just get a I guess a book that might be in the it's probably in the public domain and just reprint it. <laughs> and then say I came up with it. The the chapter does mention something interesting. It says the tale of the squonk was included in William T. Cox's Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods in 1910. There is no record of the story being told in Pennsylvania, and this may be a misattribution. So I thought that was a little interesting. Mm-hmm. Wondering if it makes me wonder if William just wrote made made some shit up. Like <laughs> what what I had uh, seen was so the the guy that he features for the uh, squonk section that states he's in Minnesota. Uh, it was, I don't remember where I read it, but it was explained that maybe this was also made up that he actually grew up in Pennsylvania and started as a lumberjack there. And one of the reasons that so many like different stories of these creatures transferred from uh, lumberjack camp to camp was that because they were clear cutting the F out of the woods, they had to constantly be on the move every few years. So he had to move from Pennsylvania to Minnesota to be able to continue having a job as a lumberjack and that's where cox i suppose would have gotten the information from him mm-hmm. it also states i don't know why it's, it's this, this book the this chapter is written in a way like i guess it wants to believe <laughs> it says alternately it is possible that after extensive logging of the hemlock forests in pennsylvania the squonk was extinct there due to habitat destruction 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, I mean, oh, okay. Yeah, that's why. That's why you don't hear stories about it. <laughs> the squonk didn't have any more trees to, or tree limbs to hide under. It had to cry itself to death. <laughs> more interestingly is another book titled... Now, you may not have heard of this one. It's called Fearsome Creatures of the Lumberwoods. <laughs> this is a retelling of William T. Cox's book. Like, like a not a republishing, just a... a no, no, it's... This, <laughs> just straight this, up, like, this, taking over of it and reprinting? This, is, this was by Hal Johnson. And it says, wow. it, editors note, this book is a retelling, a reimagining, really, of Fearsome oh Creatures of the Lumberwoods by William T. Cox, published in 1910. It says, in this new version, the stories have been entirely reimagined by Hal Johnson, who often borrowed from other myths and lore. I gotta so t- Hal just made shit up. <laughs> I got to tell you, man, <laughs> Hal Johnson, I have a problem with his version of the squonk. It's much worse. Because it's all written in in the uh, first person, so I'm I'm not sure if I'm reading the story in Hal's voice or in William's voice or some other narrator that I don't know who it mm-hmm. is. But the story of the squonk is told between himself and his rival J.P. Wentling, the guy who supposedly caught the squonk. And and what's interesting here is that the sentence. The sentence, it says, I sought the squonk myself in the summer of 97. Now, there's an apostrophe there. So, is he saying, he can't be saying 1897 because the story was published in 1910. So, it clearly must mean 1997. But that doesn't make any sense. Because... So, was that JP talking though? No, this is the narrator. I don't know if it's Hal or if it's William or some unknown person. But this unknown narrator, and I'm just going to assume it's how at this point. It has to be 1800s, though. I don't know. That makes no sense. It's bad writing. Exactly. It makes no sense. If it's 1897, let's just assume it's 1897. He says, his nemesis, uh, Jean-Paul Wentling, had vowed to be the first to catch a squonk. And I had vowed to bag one before him. For some reason, he hates him. And he makes clear of that in that story. He literally writes, I hate J.P. Wendling. And there's no explanation as to why he he hates him. He just says, I hate him. I hate him. I hate him. (laughs) Why does he have a lumberjack nemesis? Like, is it it like Pokemon? (laughs) And he goes on to explain how J.P. Wendling was so much better at him at everything he did. Apparently... (laughs) Apparently he was better. He was better looking. He got all the better looking girls. <laughs> I mean, it says <laughs> we it says we pretended it was a friendly, friendly, genteel rivalry. But I hated Wentley with all of my shriveled Jarvik heart, and I would have murdered him gladly if not for the provisions oh of God. state and federal federal law. <laughs> Wentling and I had been had both been nominated for the Nobel Prize oh my God. in cryptozoology after the war. You will notice I possess no Nobel Prize. We had both fallen in love with the Queen of Bakuba. <laughs> you will perceive Oh my god. You will perceive that Prince of Bakuba has never been among my innumerable titles. In short, Wentley 
had defeated me at every turn, and I swore an oath by my one good eye and by this mummified <laughs> hand of St. Maximus, the confessor, that this time I would get the best of it. JP was a prince? <laughs> I guess. <laughs> and, and he had a mummified <laughs> hand? And then he goes on to say that he was able to, Wetling was able to catch the squunk because he was really clever. He, he he found himself an old ratty burlap sack and filled it with baby's cries, the sloshing of drowning kittens, and the crashing of the 1929 stock market. How is he talking about the 1929 stock market if this is supposed to be taking place yeah. in 1879? <laughs> I don't understand this story. <laughs> oh. Did he have like a little phonograph or something inside the sack? <laughs> and, and what does the recording of the stock market crash sound like? <laughs> no, no, not the recording. He has, he filled the sack with the crashing of the 1929 stock market. No recording. What's that even mean? <laughs> and why would the squonk go towards that? I have no idea. <laughs> this is such a fucking. <laughs> oh my God. And, and, oh my God. And then he, when he talks about it, he caught the thing and he just, he starts like, before he says he caught him, he starts talking so much shit about him. He's like, he was filthy. He was holding a filthy sack. And then, <laughs> and then Wentling... He was a prince, damn it. <laughs> Wentling says, perhaps you have noticed that, that insufferable little prig said that I have here a bag with a squonk in it. And now, listen to this. He says, you will notice that he said here, H-E-A-R, instead of here, H-E-R-E. Wentley never had learned how to spell. <laughs> What's the matter when he's talking? I, exactly. <laughs> and then he goes on to say, and in his subliterate, poorly spelled patois, he began to lecture me on his cunning victory. Like, why does he hate him so much? I don't understand this. And he's he's so mad at him. And he's calling he's him. obsessed with JP. <laughs> Calling him these names and be, calling him subliterate, like I don't know, it's almost bordering on on a, on a <laughs> kind of obsession. Yeah, he he's, he's the psychopath, not you. <laughs> and then when and then he and then when Wentley finally shows him the bag and it's just full of uh, a, a puddle of tears, he, he goes on to describe how Wentley just fell down on his knees and he started crying. He's like, "Oh my God, I failed at catching the squunk," and the narrator's like, "Ha ha 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 ha! I got this one over him finally." Loser can't even prove that he caught himself a squunk, but he doesn't catch him either. <laughs> Doesn't so... matter. He's swallowing and he's he's reveling in his misery. Mm -hmm. And then he goes on to say that Wentling then began to confess to me things no human being should know. His life was a failure. His wife was in love with her grand vizier. Sometimes in the bathroom he produced horrible things. <laughs> oh my! He's doing shit jokes. I guess. <laughs> No, I, and then he goes. Now I hated Wentling as few men have ever hated, but I could not bear to see a fellow creature in such paroxysms of despair. A fellow creature, oh my god! I sat him down in an armchair and went off to get him some Darjeeling tea with bergamot, a cup that always cheers. When I returned a few minutes later, the chair was empty. His clothes, soaking wet, were hanging off the chair. The chair was also soaking wet, wet with tears. There was nothing else left of Jean-Paul Wentling. Wait, J.P. 
melted away too. So apparently JP was so sad that he was he, he a squonk. He be, oh, that's what I was thinking. He became the squonk and cried himself to, to uh, dissipate. <laughs> and then it, it ends with, "No longer do I hunt squonk." <laughs> I don't know who this narrator is supposed to be, but the guy's such a jerk. Like, why do I like you? Why I should I like? I don't. You? I don't want him to catch a squonk. <laughs> I want him to get hit by a, a lumber truck <laughs> he goes on and before he ends the story he says that he then you know throws out the the puddle of of the squonk tears and then burns all of wentley's clothes and the chair that he was sitting in <laughs> <laughs> and his chair too <laughs> oh my god I... yeah so when... so that's that book <laughs> now i want to find out what he says about the snollygoster well you <laughs> I'll have to look into this yes because... Uh, it's how bad he made the squonk. I can't imagine that story is going to get any better. I w- yeah, I was trying to do a quick skim through when you mentioned it because I was like, oh, I need to look this one up. But it has something to do with a guy named Lawrence Alaminos. <laughs> he was afflicted with a strange disease known as biombrolism, whatever the hell that means. Apparently, he has two shadows, and then one of the shadows is like evil or something. Yeah, I, I don't. I didn't. Oh, it really diverged then, yeah. probably for the best. <laughs> yeah, like, the, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that that's my issue with, with the whole, this reimagining. Like, I don't like the character that Hal Johnson has put on for the squonk storyteller. I don't know. If, I like to pretend that it's William Cox's voice, that he was um, mm-hmm. JP's rival. It uh, Yeah, it's... It was ridiculous. Yeah, that is that is as over the top as the squonk is. <laughs> I just can't get over the whole stock market crash thing. Like, wh- why is that? It's anachronistic. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah, that's a big ass sack too. My God, <laughs> it's like a bag of holding. Fit everything in there. Yep. So here we go, squonk. Our final cryptid of the season. It is all on you to bring santa claus to his knees (laughs) so the powers of the squonk angel i mean he has to be strong out of the gate and what's he got well i mean if it's strength (laughs) if by strong you mean strength in uh misery yeah sure he has no powers other than able (laughs) apparently to be able to cry infinitely until he gets captured and then somehow he can cry to death i don't know what that means for the squonk as a as a creature like how do they reproduce are they extinct was it just the one (laughs) is it like the 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 t-1000 that it can just regroup its tears back and form itself i -hmm. i I don't know (laughs) it's too much this is obvious let's get the uh, a four (laughs) i didn't believe you i didn't believe you (laughs) it it, it got a one Squonk not strong out of the gate. He he overslept and still in bed. I mean, he didn't make it to the race. It's uncontrollable crying and just being sad. Like, things people generally do not want to be doing or be in the state of. It can dissolve itself away from existence. And based on some of the, like, social media humor out there about depression, like, it sounds like an ability that some people would want. But <laughs> in I'm not convinced in the squonks powers being anything besides a joke like a one it's a, a one all all the way for powers yeah detectability 
I was pretty generous with this one, I think. Um, I mean, it leaves a trail of its tears, so you could just, I uh, just, just hearing that out loud. I did not like that sentence. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can follow its stains, its tear stains that it leaves on the ground, and I guess you can capture it. But once you capture it, it cries itself to death. So, I mean, I gave it a two. It it can be detected, but you'll never have proof of mm-hmm. it. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you take a picture, but I guess nobody was thinking then. <laughs> I mean, they had those old timey cameras that the squonk would have to sit there for like however long, not moving, and then the the bulb explodes and probably scares it to death. So does that it, mean like, the dissolves instantly? Does that mean the squonk doesn't exist now? Uh, yes, <laughs> <laughs> it does not. I think I looked at it the same way, but I think maybe I graded it a little bit higher because. Like, as you said, it can be tracked by its tears, but it can just dissolve out of existence. So, like, the JP caught it, uh, but all he got out of it was just a wet sack. Mm-hmm. And, like, joke's on you, JP, so you can't effectively catch one. It's just willing to kill itself. So, because of that, I gave it a three and a half, mm. because you will not be able to have hard evidence of the squonk. Wow. And, mm-hmm. and, and apparently, you, it can turn you into one. I mean, JP cried himself to... Dissolving too. I mean, it burned his clothes and his chair. Like, what a scumbag! <laughs> it's almost like, like he wanted to to uh, how Johnson wanted to make this character like like an Edgar Allan Poe character. It reminds me of the Cask of Amontillado, where he just pretends to be friends with this guy just to go to this and show him his wine cellar, and then he just buries him alive for no reason. <laughs> I know him. Uh, maybe. He was possessed by the Pisano vase, and he's like, I got to kill JP. <laughs> the vase tells me to. How about the lore of the squonk angel? It's like you said, they, you know, uh, William T. Cox wrote this thing, and then everyone just copy and pasted it. There's no, I mean, the only change, slight change to it was the retelling, and even then, the squonk... Uh, uh, lore itself remained the same. It was just the story was yeah the the actors in the story yeah um, had more things to do yeah uh, it's just one. You know who I feel like right now, Angel? Who? Shania Twain. Because the squonk lore don't impress me much. Oh my God. It's it's a fun little story, but it has no substance at all. So maybe I was just more reflective on like the lumberjack storytelling of it so i just gave it a i gave it a two adequate how about the cunning and intelligence of the squonk this is the make it or break it right this is i mean uh, realistically he's broken he's broken and dead (laughs) and crying because yeah santa claus is standing over his crying body yeah one thing i didn't really get an idea of of what kind of creature this was like is this a mammal? Is this a deformed human? Is this some sort of lizard thing? I don't know. Yeah. I I took it as a pig. Like a pig-like entity. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Oh, no. This <laughs> yeah, changes I know, right? everything. Because <laughs> he's like hairy and that was the pig's first attempts at creating their human hybrid. <laughs> <laughs> and it failed. Oh, 
drastically. <laughs> They're like, here, you're just going to go live in the woods of Pennsylvania. You're just going to exist they, to be made they fun left. of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, this just gets a one. <sighs> so this may be controversial, <laughs> but I stand by it. So the squonk gets crapped on for being ugly and crying all the time. But it takes some sort of self-awareness to understand that. On top of that, it feels the need, rather than being captured, it can just dissolve itself to death. So it is willing to end its own life rather than be captured. And that is a whole other level of cognitive function, I think. And I gotta respect the squonk's commitment to not being captured. So I am giving the squonk, in cunning and intelligence, a four. I think I think you're just pitying the creature. <laughs> oh no, he's tugging my heartstrings. He's he's willing to go all the way, and I mean, God bless you, squonk. <laughs> How about the the pop culture of the squonk? You know this. This one surprised me because the ho dag, the who gag, I don't really hear about this. Yeah. <laughs> Pennsylvania doesn't want the squonk. <laughs> yeah. The squonk, <laughs> though, I mean, apparently it's been in things. It's in a Genesis yeah. song. It's called Squonk. Yeah. Um, and the, the song itself is about a hunter who captures the squonk. I think it's the story of Wentling himself, actually. Uh, I I listened to it. I hated it. <laughs> yeah, I did not I, like I, the song at all. I thought it was stupid. Yeah, I, I just read some of the lyrics. I didn't try to listen to it all because I was like, oh, I don't care for this. <laughs> it's also in a, mentioned in a, a Steely Dan song. Yeah, that's from the top of the episode. That's what I was quoting there. Yep. And mm-hmm. uh, according to, back to um, Supernatural Lore of Pennsylvania, it supposedly says here recently the squonk i don't know when this book was written so i don't know what recently means but it says recently the squonk has undergone a shift in legend ecology to popular music including progressive rock which is probably referencing genesis and Mm -hmm. and and even rap music i have no idea what they're referencing there i don't know what rap i do i do it is i saw another source that says the rapper mcfront a lot sing about it but I have no idea who McFrontalot is. Is that is that MC Frontalot? Oh my god! It, it's they said McFrontalot, <laughs> <laughs> like not MC Frontalot, McFrontalot. Oh my god! What? Okay. <laughs> All right. So this is. I guess this book was pretty recent then. Um, most of these instances are simply passing lyrical references, and the fullest treatment today is the one of Genesis. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, yeah, that's all I have to say about that. So apparently, it's become popular in music somewhat, and that's it. And it's interesting because Genesis is what they're they're from the UK, so mm-hmm. the, yeah. Like, wh- how do they find out about the squonk of all the hell? It's <laughs> Phil Collins and whoever else is in that band. <laughs> what are they doing? <laughs> So let's look up Pennsylvania lore. <laughs> Make a song about it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, pop culture. This gets a two from me. So one interesting thing I did find about the Steely Dan thing was uh, about the song was uh, some of the band members had no idea what the hell a squonk was. 
and <laughs> they didn't want to offend the other band members that wrote it so they just like never said anything like, <laughs> about the song and they were like oh, i guess we'll have the song about that has a squonk in it but they didn't understand it at all <laughs> there is a version of the squonk i'm not sure if you've ever seen this show uh lost girl i think for i think it's a canadian show and was on sci-fi for a bit i i watched a few seasons of it i liked it a lot um but in this version of uh, the squonk it is representative as a, a woman that's like overly emotional and crying so usually like in last girl it's the main character is a, uh, a succubus that is like a private investigator sort of like a bounty hunter almost mm-hmm. and then it's like this like f- like fey battle it's a pretty neat show so i was like oh cool the squonks in that and there are believe it or not angel numerous squonk beers wow usually involving the squonks tears in its name <laughs> so we are back on the beer train our only time the train got knocked off the rails this season with <laughs> Stakini. <laughs> Not too much there at all. So I gave it a a two adequate. I was on the same same path as you. Now, now that you mentioned the the tears, <laughs> the same book of uh, supernatural lore of Pennsylvania, it says um, Thomas L. Valtenberg, a, a poet, suggested that the tears are valued by alchemists. <laughs> I don't know why that's in there. God damn. <laughs> Who's that guy? Like, <laughs> Just thought I'd throw that in there. I don't like him. <laughs> Saying that Alchemist won it because uh, they, they probably didn't. Yeah. <laughs> Was alchemy even a thing still by the time the stories of the squonk were rolling around? I mean. Um, I'm pretty sure those, those uh, uh, the yeah. golden cross people doing alchemy <laughs> one of uh, so the golden cross thing was also like from what i read about it uh, like a variation of other golden cross ones yeah and the original golden cross order i think it's like golden cross in the rose something like that actually was started uh, with the intent of alchemy so <laughs> i guess it all it all comes around back to alchemy yep. anyways <laughs> can't get away from it yeah so what does your score for the squonk add up to angel full-on seven i mean somehow mine added up to a 12.25 that (laughs) That four man four just like blew up the score (laughs) this gives the squonk a rubric of power score of nine point rounded up six three oh my god can you believe it it beat out the who gag Oh God! Poor who gag. <laughs> what what did the who gag have? I can't remember. Seven. Oh shit! <laughs> who gag really fell apart. A seven? Wow. Yeah. So then he was then Squonk is just below Suchinoko, probably. Um, yes. Nowhere close to Santa Claus. So Santa Claus, episode one remains supreme throughout the cryptid versions of the uh, of the season to i mean good lord there was there was no way anyone was gonna pass santa claus it was written written in the snow yeah <laughs> this gives me an interesting thought though because if we combine some things that we've talked about throughout the season of your love for eating icicles <laughs> and the squonk's tears that means there could potentially be a squonk icicle Yes. I don't know what that matters, but... <laughs> it, it, it matters greatly. If 
you get a squonk icicle and then you um, carve it to be an ornamental uh, ceremonial knife. You can do some pretty neat uh, alchemy with that. Do you do you think it could combine with a crystal skull? That's too po- too much power. <laughs> do you like? Could it? I can't remember the the priestess's name. The Atlantean priestess that got laser eyed to death, <laughs> and like her body got yeah all into crystals, and it has to be rebuilt to do whatever. I wonder if the squonk icicle could stop that. <laughs> I think I need to commune it's... with AJ. <laughs> we need them. <laughs> and they've abandoned us in our time of need. <laughs> so any last things to say about the squonk before we mop him up because we got too close and he cried to death? Yeah, actually, the one thing we haven't really discussed is its name, squonk. I mean, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's just as dumb as Hoogag and Hodag and Snollygoster. <laughs> Squonk sounds to me like uh, like the noise something makes, like like those little horns, the clown horns that just go. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is the, the clown of the cryptid world, so that's squonk. apropos. <laughs> uh, that makes me like the squonk less that it's <laughs> clown horn related now. <laughs> the squonk was a it's just a weird a weird creature like. Uh, to make stories of this like crying beast out in the woods, I would like to have Microsoft <laughs> have a version, a chatbot version of this guy that made the squonk, <laughs> just to figure out what the hell is going through your mind, guy. <laughs> How did you think of the squonk? And then he just spouts racist stuff, and you're like, "Well, this uh, no. is all him." <laughs> <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cracking Cryptids and Curios. Next week, we will be diving into an exploration of the enigma of 2020, that of the monolith. We'll see what the heck happened, where did it come from, where did it go, and maybe Maddie Moe, too. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Maddie Moe. I don't know if I said it, but the season finale of season two, Mm -hmm. originally... The squonk was going to be the stamp to this season, but the the monolith was just too much. It was just too much as this season started to just to you know just leave it out there, not talked about it anymore. We sort of left it out of the uh, news portions of the of the episodes for a good while now, and we're going to see how it all turned out. And maybe travel to Mars. Oh God, <laughs> how we're going to have to prepare a lot. Uh, I mean, we're going to outer space. Yep. The airboat's not going to get us there. <laughs> That's why you need the buckle. <laughs> we need John Titer and his flying car from 1968. We need the air pocket, too. I mean, mm-hmm. as long as so much air. <laughs> For all of you curiosities out there listening in, I know y'all got social media. And if you can't get enough of us, go ahead and search for us on Twitter at Cracking Curios. And you can send us any messages with hashtag Cracked Cryptids. Maybe tag at Carl Shooker as well because he's cool and all. And you never know what he might say about yep, anything. Dope. We know he responds to questions, so he's very friendly. Also find us on Instagram at Cracking Cryptids. 
You can also send us an email, crackingcryptidsandcurios at gmail.com. And finally, it hasn't been possible in this podcast to say everything that could be said about the squonk. However, as Canadian writer R.D. Cummings said, paraphrased, a good podcast has no ending. The rest is up to you. If you go on squonking for the joy of it, then this podcast has been good enough. <laughs> what? This has been an I am actually traveling back into time production. This is my sad song.